Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the BTC podcast. Today we are looking at the top five worst cars in the championship. And welcome to our latest episode of the British Touring Car Podcast. Um, as you heard in the intro, we'll be looking at the top five worst cars this week. Uh, Russ, you're with me again, finally in the same room um, as of last week. How have you been? Distant, <laughs> as uh, as we were supposed to be. Uh, yes, no, I've been well, thank you. Uh, been a mixed week, weather and work-wise, but it's Friday. It will soon be time to crack a beer. Once we've gone through the five worst cars on the grid, how about yourself? Yeah, my my week's been busy enough. Um, I'm getting back into the swing of it. I had last week off, as you know. Um, but yeah, another three more weeks, and I can have another week off. Oh yeah, so <laughs> the thunderflies are gone within a couple oh, of days. Oh my god, they've been a pain in the ass. But not as big a pain in the ass as some of these cars have been to some of the drivers on the grid. So, should we go straight into our top five worst cars of the British Touring Car era? Yes, I think we should. As as always, we're only really looking at the cars in our lifetime of watching the Touring Cars. I fully accept that there's some, probably some really awful cars in the 60s, uh, but I've never actually seen them. It's always very difficult to look back uh, at just statistics, so we're looking more at cars as we remember being in the series and remember being awful. Yeah, and, and because of that, we've probably left out some of the S2000 cars and the ones that where the grid was split into two or three classes. classes yeah, again, because um, it just wasn't our era. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, getting straight into it then, uh, I'm going to start with my number five. Go for it. Uh, and my number five is probably a slightly controversial one. It's certainly the best of my five that have performed, um, and that was the 2014 Team Dynamics Honda Civic Tourer. Ooh, okay. Uh, so, in my opinion, a fairly ugly car. Agreed. Uh, one that didn't have a livery that suited it very well. Agreed, because we've seen the other cars, the Subaru the Vorks, quite ugly, but the livery yep. hid its ugliness to a certain yep. extent, apart from when they put the red on it, which was awful. But uh, So, the Civic Tourer only had one season in the sport, and I think that's probably almost what seals it as being one of the worst decisions that Dynamics has, has made in, re- in relation to what cars that they've chosen. Obviously, we know they've had the Integra and they've had the, the normal shape uh, hatch Civic. But yeah, the Civic Tourer took four wins in its only season. Shedden did well in it though, finished third in the championship, but he was well off the pace of Turkington that year. Uh, Neil only finished down in eighth, and it it was a car that just didn't suit the touring car field in my opinion. It looked heavy, it looked lethargic, it looked boaty. Yeah, I, I agree. We've had three prominent tourers in the touring car era of the Volvo, which yep. didn't really work. This, which hasn't really worked, and the Subaru, which worked for a bit until they had to put the engine back, and then it only worked in the hands of Ash Sutton. Nobody else yeah. could seem to get a tune out of it. Then cars that are raced very often, and I think there's a very good reason for that. Um, and as you say, it's a bit of a, a baffling decision by Dynamics, having had so much success in the Civics, um, and would then have success again in the Civics post yeah. the Tourer. It's a bit of a bizarre one to try and, for whatever reason, go down the Tourer route. Yeah, I think when it was announced by Dynamics for the start of that season, we were all quite taken aback that they jumped from a relatively small, um, dynamic and agile car into something that was so much bigger than they were used to. Even 
running the saloon is slightly bigger than the hatch, but this was bigger still. It's huge, yeah, it's absolutely huge. And so an aerodynamic, it was a box, yeah. it was a box on wheels. Yeah. And the, the back was so long. I mean, I know tourists are, <laughs> but there was a good, I mean, it was it was barge-like at the back. I mean, the back suspension was protected in contact, but mm. the amount you're going to, it's so easy to turn around and just, yeah, so difficult to manoeuvre around some of the trickier parts of the BTC calendar. Yeah, it certainly wasn't one that was loved by the team, which is why it only stayed for one season. Um, and it was it was like a flash in the pan, really, but not in a good way. No, my fifth on my list is very similar. It's a, a gamble by a top team that didn't quite pay off. Um, on the face of it, you might say it's slightly harsh when you look at some of the results it achieved, but I'm looking at the Sat Leon TDI of 2008. So yeah. at the time, this was the first diesel that they mm. uh, ran in the series. Uh, they kept the Leon, which had pushed Dynamics for the last two seasons, uh, and indeed Vauxhall for the last two seasons, and tried to get the edge up on the competition uh, because the Leon lacked a little bit of straight line speed, I think it's fair to say. It was very yeah. good in the corners, but lacked a little bit of straight line speed. And they hoped that the foray into diesel would be the gamble that would just give them one up on the rest of the field. Uh, I, it didn't work at all well. If anything, they're even slower in the straights. They looked a little bit less nimble in the corners. Yeah, the thing the thing is with the diesel, you normally have a decent amount of low end torque, so it will punch you out of a corner, but it will struggle like higher up in the rev range. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing they were also looking at with bringing in that diesel car is for it to be more efficient and carry less fuel and so to be overall a lighter car and you could balance the weight across the car much better but as you say it was it was a venture that Sayat had made that didn't particularly work very well. No I mean just to give you some stats so Plato did finish third in the championship that season but it was a long 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 way off uh, yep. Giovinardi at top uh, he did take eight wins in the car and four podiums but balanced that against eight non-scoring finishes uh, and whilst Turner who replaced Thompson also took a win. Uh, he finished eighth overall, but reliability and speed just played the campaign. You know, they they couldn't really string anything together. Yes, I say Plato got some good results in there, but unlike the other drivers, he couldn't put a run of results together. It'd be almost a, a a random win here and then a couple of weekends of poor results and what have you. So they never really got to grips with the car, and of course they didn't continue it after the 2008 no. season, which I think is always the tell. You know. Is it worth continuing? They thought no. Uh, and to date, as far as I'm aware, it's only been one of a diesel in the series, which is a BMW 1 Series diesel, oh, yes. 180D for memory. Yep. I can't remember who ran it, but it was in the season after this in 2009, if memory serves me right. Yeah, you could always tell when the diesel car was coming towards you with a big plume of black smoke it had coming out of every corner, um, just because of the way that diesels are running motorsport. I'd also point out it was an awful livery from Saturday. Yeah, it was. Having gone from the beautiful gold and uh, silver design. Uh, or yellow and green. Yeah, yellow and green. Yeah. It was horrific. Um, and they just couldn't really get to grips with it. And it was subsequently upped, which I think, as you said with the Civic, is always the you know the marking post. Is it worth continuing? No. No. No, it wasn't. So, number four on your list then, Sam? Number four on my list is a car that some people may not remember that well. Um, it's the Vauxhall, but not the Vauxhall you may instantly think of. Obviously, we've had Astras, we've had Vectras. But they've all been good. And they have been good. However, the Vauxhall that took over from the Vectra in Vauxhall's range was Insignia. And that was first seen in 2012 with Thorny Motorsport and Team Hard. Uh, run obviously by Tony Gillam as we all know and it was a car that lacked everything in my opinion yeah. um, it was a very long car it was even longer than the Vectra I believe 
Um, it was one that you look at it on the road and you think, nah, that's not a racing car. No, as you say, of all the obvious choices that yeah. Vauxhall put out, the insignia is not one. And we've been careful in this list to make sure we don't include cars that had were good at one point. So you won't, for example, see MG come on the list later on because there were a few yeah. seasons where the MG was very good. But this has never been good. No, in, in that 2012 season, it had best finish of third from Tony Gillam and scored 71 points in that season. Which is impressive. Which is impressive, but it wasn't like setting the world like like we know Vauxhalls have done before in the championship. Um, in its second season, it had a second place with Jack Goff in the final round of the season. But throughout that season, it had six different drivers pass through that team. And it's... It was a car that never got developed by one driver alone or two drivers as a team and was able to push on. Um, and consequently, going into the 2014 season, it only lasted halfway through as Team Hard bought in the <laughs> infamous Volkswagen CC that had, seems to have lasted for ever. E- ever. Um, but yeah, to for the insignia coming into the championship, it wasn't. It wasn't particularly thrilling in my books. No, and I think there's two things to look at there as well. You know, bad cars are capable of getting good results if certain things come to fruition. Um, so just because it's had a couple of good results doesn't automatically make it a good car. Uh, I think also when you consider Vauxhall's pedigree in the sport, when you look at the sort of the champions they've turned out, the cars they've turned out, and the dominance they had in the early 2000s and the resurgence they had in 2005, 6, 7, 8, they've sort of coming back a little bit now of PMR um, yeah. obviously they're bringing the, the, the badge back and getting wins getting good results this just wasn't a very successful foray from Vauxhall which is a name entrenched in British motorsport particularly touring cars um, and it was just a, as you say a bit of a disappointment all round I also think that nearly all the liveries that were put on it looked awful as well I can't remember any of them which exactly yeah. the, the most notable one is obviously Tony Gillums and he ran that livery on almost all of his cars which was the pink and green yeah which I hate as well by uh, the way yeah but, um, but yeah the the liveries that came with that car I don't think did it any favours either no no. It just made it look slow yeah absolutely well fourth on my list is a car that you probably want to discuss as well because it's probably further up your list um you say Proton to most British touring car <laughs> fans and that's the reaction a laugh um <laughs> But actually, when we were going back looking through this, it, it struck me that they, the Proton Gen 2 was awful, but they did yeah. replace it with the Persona, which I think people forget that it, it was replaced, and the Persona was better. It wasn't the best car I've ever seen on the grid. It wasn't it certainly wasn't the worst. It's not in this top five list. So I'm focusing particularly on the Gen 2, because I say the Persona was a fairly consistent point scorer, and when you're looking that far down the field, it's not in a top team's hands, in various respects. It's not a Halfords, it's not a Vauxhall. Oh. Uh, you know, it is a smaller run team car and as such constantly score top 10 finishes is a pretty good good thing to have but the Gen 2 didn't do that in any way shape or form no the Gen 2 wasn't the first Proton that we saw in the championship either it uh, wasn't. I think we had the Impian or something like that all the way back in what 2002 was it long way back yeah. um, that was developed by David Leslie and some other unknown driver at the time um, and then Proton came back, not as a manufacturer this time, but more of an independent, obviously with Dan Welsh, in uh, 2011. Um, for only five rounds, gained a tenth. Yep. Uh, which is, yeah, okay, you've scored a point, well done. That's, but that's the only time. And then subsequently it was ditched for the next season when they moved to the Persona, where results did improve somewhat. Uh, yeah. But I think 
that's why it's fourth on my list because it was only a, a, a season car and then they got rid of it so it's difficult to say it's the worst of all time um, but you actually hate Proton generally speaking I think yeah they, they've never really impressed in the championship and certainly when they came in the manufacturer much earlier in the in the series they they never did particularly well then either um, and I don't think I don't, I'm not sure if they're even still in business are they I don't think they are no, no. But it's difficult so I always like to see the new badges on the grid and we've done a whole pod on cars we'd like to oh, see yeah. you know and I, I commend anyone that tries to bring a new car to the grid because it's yep. not easy um, and if you get it right it could be revolutionary a Subaru was an example of that in the first year and the Vogue was unbeatable yeah and it'll be interesting to see how the Hyundai does this season yes oh, absolutely I'm hoping that they really can make the work and Infinity for that matter uh, good to have some new new manufacturers on the grid um, but yeah this was just a foray into motorsport that didn't really work from a fairly unobvious well, because Proton were technically a part of Lotus, weren't they? They were basically a slightly more commercial arm of Lotus. And also uh, sort of rebadged uh, Mr. Bishies as well. So there's a little bit of racing heritage within the company as a whole. Obviously, you don't know how much they talk to each other. Obviously, Lotus and Mr. Bish- Mr. Bishy are both very big in their representative racing fields. Uh, neither have been in the touring cars from memory. Not that I can remember. No, not in my lifetime anyway. Um, so, yeah... It- <laughs> It's just a bit underwhelming. You look at what could have been, I think. Yeah, certainly. Uh, for me, they're second on my list. Oh, okay. Um, third on my list, however, who I feel are slightly higher up on your list, uh, is Lexus uh, yep. with their IS200. They were first seen in the championship back in 2005 as yep. part of an independent team. Um, and... BTC Racing in 2006 ran the final two rounds with the Lexus obviously a name we all know today BTC Racing uh, and then the first full season we saw them in 2007 with BTC was fairly uncompetitive well you say <laughs> that but Stockton scored two points two points um, and I think as we've said earlier the show of a good car or a bad car is how long they stay in the championship and yes they'd appeared in 2005 but two rounds into 2008 uh, they'd, they'd gone yeah and what's interesting about that is that BTC switched to a much older uh, Seat Toledo yes. which had very much in my opinion had its day at that point the Leon was well ahead of it in fact even the Leon was at that point struggling being the diesel mm. but it was interesting they swapped to such a, in my opinion, backwards. Step. Well, on paper, it's a backward step at least. Yeah, uh, in, in age of car, however, the Toledo had much better racing pedigree already within the championship. I'd agree with that. Um, the Lexus was very much unproven when it came in, um, and also another rear-wheel drive car, I believe. I believe so. Um, Lexus is second on my list because it was in the in the series for about three years. Okay, we'll give or take a few. Yeah. Yeah. And it never really looked convincing at any point. You know, it, it had longevity in the sense of some of the other cars we discussed were in it for a season or two. This had longevity to a degree, and it still it never really looked like it was going to get any better. Can I argue something that may shock you? Go on. It's fairly similar to the Mercedes A Class now. Well, it's just a Japanese Mercedes, if you ask Alan Partridge. Well, yeah, which, true. You know, um, but yeah, the Mercedes hasn't been able to develop any further, and we've all been sort of like thinking, well, when are they going to move on? And BTC Racing did that with the Lexus, although it looked like a step back. It's 
eventually push them forward. I suppose the only thing you'd argue about the A class is that it's at least had some success. Well, had, yes. had success, yes. not some. It's had success. Yeah. Whereas the Lexus never looked. No, it, it was always it was always run by a team near the back of the field as well. So the investment may have not been there. They may have been looking for drivers that had the money to come with them, rather than having a manufacturer backing. That said, I mean there is a fair. Lexus are, are well-regarded cars. There's a little oh, yeah. bit of racing pedigree to them. They, they're generally thought as you know, fairly fast, fairly sporty yep. kind of cars. So it'd be particularly the newer ones and in the hybrid era. It'd be great to have them on back on the grid as we've discussed in the past. Yeah, um, certainly. For me, say they're just second on my list because there was an ample opportunity to develop them, and they just never got any better. Anyway, they got worse. And when you then step out to go to an older Toledo, I think that probably tells you all you need to know <laughs> uh, well we've covered my number two yep. and your number two so who is number one on your list hey, so my number three first oh, number three yes. oh I do apologise because you had your number three and that was number two for me <laughs> it's okay it's okay uh, number three I think is your number one yes. uh, which is the Volkswagen Golf which made its debut in 2010 uh, and surprisingly wasn't really suited to the championship which is bizarre because Sort of the 2010s onwards, in particular, have been the year of the hot hatch by and large. By yeah. I know there's been you know, the events this and the BMW from last year bucked that trend somewhat, but yep. by and large, we're talking the the year or the era. era of the hot hatch. Yeah, and this is a hot hatch. Yeah, it, it is the hot hatch. If you ask most most people or modern families, they'll say you want a hot hatch to take your kids around or off to school and you'll go German you'll go Volkswagen Golf Volkswagen Corsa for me (laughs) (laughs) Um, but as you said came in Sean Hollenby was team owner and driver um, for AMD Tuning how they've gone on to grow amazing Um, but also we've had drivers like Ollie Jackson still in championship Tom Unslow Cole has been there and tried to make things work obviously he'd had top drives at BMW moved on to GT racing driven at Vauxhall as well don't forget driven at Vauxhall yeah but I think there were too many different drivers coming in and there was no there was no pushing them forward. I think the biggest now in the Volkswagen coffin is that, unlike some of the other cars we've discussed, they had a top driver here in Tom Unzo Carl mm. who couldn't get anything out of it. Yeah. So so I think he, for memory, he left halfway through the season to go to another team. Yes. Um, Didn't he go to Airwaves? Yeah, I believe he did, yes. Yeah. I'm not saying that's because the car was terrible. There's, there's loads of things that could oh, be the yeah, reason why. Oh, plenty of things but, behind the scenes that we don't know what goes on. But Tom couldn't get a tune out of the car, and he was... If you look through the list of drivers who raced that car, with the greatest specs, he's the best Yes. Uh, to do it. Most decorated. Uh, Ollie Jackson, yeah, he's a good driver. Um, mm. he's, he's slowly coming to his own now. I think it's fair to say he was a completely different driver back then, but... Yeah. Just, they just couldn't get the car working. It just looked slow. That's my endearing memory of it. Slow, mm. sluggish. I think even Nick Hamilton had a driving one, I think. I can't remember now. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a car that came onto the grid and because there are Volkswagen Championships that follow the F3s and GTs around and they have a whole championship devoted <laughs> to either Golfs or Sorocos or built on the same sort of platform and it's excellent racing. Mm. So you think with that sort of racing pedigree coming into such a competitive championship like the British Touring Cars, wonderful. Hit the ground running, be right up there with the best like the Honda Civic, like the BMW 1 Series. And it just didn't have anything about it. No, and I think as you say, you know, this is a case you've got a proven team now yep. uh, with some proven drivers who 
who couldn't develop the car. Which, as you say, is bizarre when you consider that the Golf has got racing pedigree, Volkswagen have got racing pedigree. I think this is the, one of the most perfect examples of mm. the car not being suited to the series, and therefore yeah. I can understand why it's your worst car. Um, because I think, unlike the other ones you've discussed, there's no reason this one shouldn't have worked. Yeah, It fitted everything that the, the series needed to be. I will give it one redeeming feature. It ran two very nice liveries, the blue and black and then mm. the red and black. Yeah, very striking liveries. Um, and it has also given us Ollie Jackson, which I think is a good thing. I think he's a, as I said before, a, a, a decent driver. Good and, and obviously that is how AMD, owned by Sean Hollenby, got into the series and last year became Independence Champions. Yeah, yeah. I say the rise so, of AMD has been excellent. Yeah. Um, which makes me again ticks the box for you in when you say it's the worst car because it's not with a bad team. It's not had bad drivers. Nope. It just is a for whatever reason didn't work. Yeah. But it's not my number one. Ooh, what's your number one? Long ago, before Halfords ran Honda, they did used <laughs> to run other things. Now, we're taking you back, children, because <laughs> you may remember that, or may not remember, that Halfords didn't always run the Hondas. Mm. I'm going to take you back to 2003. They ran Peugeots. They ran Peugeots. Now, you talk about Dan Eves, you talk about Matt Neal, one of the first words you think about is reliability, correct? Yeah, certainly with a Team Halfords or Team Dynamics run team is well-prepared cars that will be there throughout the season being consistent. Okay, so 2003, Dan Eves had eight retirements. Wow. And secured only 22 points in the championship. No podiums. And back then, seasons were shorter, weren't they? Yep. We had Edwards and Boardman also racing them, so they ran three classes. Uh, sorry, no, Edward, Edwards and Boardman racing the production class, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and Reliability played them as well. Uh Dan Eves' teammate was Breeze. I do apologise. Do you remember Breeze? Yes. Gone for the win now. Very good Ginetta racer now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, the main problem for them both was reliability. The production class uh, run couldn't get it to work for them. Uh, Halfords couldn't get it to work for them either. Dan Eves, again, a a top driver who couldn't get to grips with the car whatsoever. Halfords dropped it straight away in 2004. Yeah. Richard uh, Marsh then tried to carry it on. Uh, he had zero points in 2004 in the car. Uh, didn't run in 2005, but came back with Marsh in 2006, where it didn't start eight times, retired three times, <laughs> and came with no points. Uh, it hasn't returned since, unsurprisingly. Can I, can I point out something quite important about it? It's French. It is French, but... <laughs> How many French cars, apart from the, Renault, apart from the classic Renault Laguna and that Peugeot 406 in the super touring era, and we're talking about proper saloon car racing, how many French cars have actually done well coming into the championship? Well, Renault aside, I can't think of any off the top of my head. No. No. Uh, Citroen C3s are quite fun to watch, <laughs> but they're not really touring cars. <laughs> no. Um, and the reason it's number one on my list is because I think unlike the rest of them, this is a top team. Mm. Okay, Halfords were still in the early days at that point, I grant you, but a good team, good budget, good driver, yep. and they couldn't get it to work. And it, after a season, they dropped them. Now, you think about how long Halfords in the modern era have been developing and running the Civic. Yep. I mean, they did the Integra for two years, three years? Two they, years, I Two believe. years. But then since then, they've carried on developing and running the Civic. Yeah, in its different generations as yeah. it's carried on through 
all the way up now to the FK8. With a slight tickle into the tour, as, as mentioned earlier, but yeah. generally speaking, they've stuck with a car and they've developed it. Yeah, that was and slightly it's, misguided. I think it's quite telling that they didn't even attempt to try and do anything with it in 2004, that they ditched it straight off the bat. I think also because Voxel was so dominant in this era with the uh, Astro Coupe at this point that they had to do something. The Peugeot 307 was such an odd-shaped car to take touring car racing. Yep. It had a really big ass. Yep. And stocky. Was yeah, it was and quite. A, it was quite a tall, mm. sort of like hatchback, and it's not really efficient to be racing in, in my no, eyes. No, it was almost a people carrier hatchback yeah. without being a people carrier. It was yeah. sort of yeah, I agree with you. It looked ugly as anything in the Halford livery as yep. well. Um, but say for me, it's number one because it was tried by not only Halfords but a, a production class as well so they were well spread on the grid there was a fair few of them mm. in the series for those couple of years and nothing nothing to write home about at all um, the fact that Dan Eves didn't even take a podium one I think is beyond telling because they, even if the TDIs are discussed earlier they still won races they were yep. just too inconsistent I mean these were consistent but they were consistently bad <laughs> um, and I say when you look at the resources the drivers and what Halfers have subsequently come on to become I with dynamics as well after that yep. for me this is probably the biggest misstep and for that reason the worst car that's been on the BTC grid Okay. interesting and it's not been back since in any shape or form <laughs> no. <point. laughs> no. no we haven't seen a Peugeot on the grid for a long time I think after 2006 somebody did run a 407 for one season but I can't remember off the top of my head if that is correct I may be talking out of my backside yeah, it might have even been before that. It might have if been before that. If it's the one I'm thinking about, is it bright yellow? It was bright yellow, yeah. Yeah, I think it might have been before that. Yeah, it's bright yellow with a uh, Union Jack down the side. Yeah. Sort of like the Silverstone Union Jack. Yeah. But anyway, um, that's our top five. So if we'll just run through our lists uh, just to recap, I'll go first. Uh, so in fifth place, we have the Leon TDI, uh, a foray into diesel that didn't really work and hasn't really been uh, built upon since. Uh, number four for me came the Proton Gen 2. Uh, always nice to see a new car on the grid, but this just didn't work out whatsoever. Number three, so the Volkswagen Golf 2010. Uh, should have been suited to the BTC, and for some reason it never was. Uh, in at number two was the Lexus. Had longevity, and unlike the Golf before it, it never showed any signs of being remotely good. Uh, and at number one is the Peugeot 307, ran by a top team, and utterly, utterly hopeless. <laughs> Uh, so my number five was that, as you say, misstep from T-Night Dynamics in 2014 with the Civic Tourer, uh, followed by the relatively unsuccessful for Vauxhall, uh, the Insignia first seen in 2012. In third place for me was the Lexus IS200, uh, as you've said before. Second place was the Proton Gen 2 in 2011. And the worst car for me, unfortunately, was the Volkswagen Golf, as you said, should have been one to hit the ground running in the British touring cars and really was underwhelming. Well that concludes our top fives but we are sure as ever that you'll have your own views so please do get in touch with what you think were the worst cars in the BTCC. We fully accept that some of them uh, will have missed out particularly because we've only covered a uh, particular era of the touring cars so please do uh, educate us with some of the ones before our era. 
Um, do us ever get in touch with your top fives. Uh, we haven't really got any news this week, no. uh, other than to say our website is now live. Yay! Which is excellent. Uh, thank you to all the work that's gone into that. Yep. Uh, if you search btcpodcast.co.uk, uh, that will put up our site. We will be putting up various blog posts previewing the teams uh, for the season ahead uh, over the next couple of weeks as we build up to the start of the season. And we've also got the Carl Bordley interview transcript up there now. We do. Um, so you can have a full read of that to yourself as well as going to listen to last week's podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and the only other thing to say is that next week we will be back. Uh, we'll be starting a preview uh, for the season ahead. Mm. Uh, as it was only two weeks now, or two more pods effectively before we go racing. Yeah. So we'll be looking at various predictions, uh, updates from the teams. Uh, we'll be bringing you the results of the uh, predictions from last year to who is coming back and who isn't. I think I'm winning that now. Andrew Jordan's not back. No, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Um, and we'll um, obviously go through all of that with a full preview next week. Yep, we'll update you on the full calendar as we know it so far as well. Um, and yeah we hope you enjoyed today's episode uh, go and give us a rating on whichever platform you listen on that be a nice one yeah uh, leave your comments on what cars you think we've missed out and also how you think our podcast is going again if, if you like if you don't just give it to yourself <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah we'll, we'll see you again at the same time next week for a preview of that, the season ahead right until then bye bye Remember to subscribe, follow and also share our podcast for more touring car updates. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook by just searching for BTCP, British Touring Car Podcast. And you can also contact us there or on our email at btccpod at gmail.com. 